Welcome to Inside the Blended Workshop. We are so glad you're here. As we all begin to wade into the deep unknown of the 2020-2021 school year, we wanted to make a more intimate space where you could step inside our classrooms with us, have conversations about our new teaching realities, and work together to continue to do what's best for the readers and writers in our classrooms. Whether those classrooms are face-to-face, -face, virtual, or something in between. And here we are, a monthly newsletter that will give you new ideas and most importantly, put resources directly into your hands. In each issue, please feel free to comment with questions for our Q&A down the road or topics you'd like to hear more about. Let us know what's working for you and where you're struggling. Deep Dive, Using Digital Reading and Writing Notebooks. Name an English teacher who doesn't love a good notebook, with the brilliant glide of the perfect pen. While we're all becoming more digital, English teachers tend to be a tactile people. Loving paper, when writing, when reading, is one of our defining features. But this year, my beloved on paper reading and writing notebook is going digital and it's going all in one. Let's be honest, this school year is going to require us to kill some of our darlings. So here's why I'm going digital from day one. First, minimizing paper minimizes sanitizing. We don't need to worry about potential germs on notebooks we aren't touching and passing back and forth. Second, my school is starting face-to-face, -face, but bracing for a likely pivot to full digital learning later this year. If we begin in digital notebooks, that's one less thing we have to change later this year. Third, both the teacher and the student can see the digital notebook anytime. It's a great way for me to be able to casually monitor student work. Catlin Tucker got me started on this journey, and with some modifications, I'm embracing her basic setup. Go to the link in the newsletter and she'll show you how to format your Google Slides for digital notebooks and how to assign them to students through Google Classroom so that each student has his or her own copy that you can pop into at any time. And this is important to me. Popping in casually and without notice allows me to spot check if students are keeping up with class without having to assign a grade to every informal writing assignment or reading reflection. In my real normal life classroom, I never collect or grade notebooks. It's a matter of principle and practicality. This way, if I can pop into a student's notebook and see they're falling behind with assignments, I can quickly nudge them back on track. A little bit of accountability built in. But here's the rub. Tucker uses a new notebook for each new unit, and she front loads all of her resources in the notebook before sharing it with students. That won't exactly work for me. I want my notebooks to stay with students all year long, and I want to responsively create flip mini lessons as I go. So before we go on a tour, let me tell you about my notebook plans. Just about everything will go in this notebook, including, but not limited to, mini lesson links, notes, drafting and bits of informal writing, reflective writing, dialogue journals, vocabulary work, documentation of learning, and more. My notebooks will have a user guide. 
filled with simple how-to screencasts that will help students with the basics of digital notebook logistics and navigation. What basic functions will your students need to perform again and again in order to fully use this notebook? Find simple YouTube tutorials or quickly create your own and link, or feel free to link to mine. I will train students to insert slides with new mini lessons from me. This is probably the biggest switch from the way Catlin Tucker uses notebooks. But whenever I teach a new mini lesson, I will link to it in a single Google slide. I will assign that slide to my students in Google Classroom and they will insert it into their notebook in the appropriate section. More details on this later and flipping the mini lesson. Finally, I will train students on how to perform effective searches to find notebook items. Yes, by the end of the year, this slide deck will be enormous, but so, so useful. Think about what a resource this could be as students move from grade to grade. So from the get-go, I'm going to explicitly train my students to think about embedding a keyword or two into each slide, and then train them to perform a search so they can quickly navigate around the notebook. Shall we take a quick tour? Head to the newsletter to see a screencast of me talking about what's in my notebook and why. And then click below the screencast so you can download the digital reading and writing notebook template I'm using that comes complete with the user guide of five videos to help students do the basics. It's yours. Just make a copy and adapt it to fit the need of your students. Flipping the mini lesson. Another change I'm making to my class from day one, regardless of how we begin the year, is that I'm going to start flipping all mini lessons for both reading and writing workshop. I've been doing this for a few years when I'm absent so that reading writing workshop can continue, but these days the benefits go so far beyond a substitutes lesson plan. One thing that spring 2020 taught me is that regardless of the teaching context, we have to make the most of face-to-face -face time. And one thing students can do on their own without me beside them is to receive my direct instruction. This saves face-to-face -face time for practicing reading, writing strategies, conferring, sharing, and other community building. Here's how I flip my lessons. First, I record a five to seven-ish minute screencast using Screencastify or Screencast-O-Matic. Both of these screen recorders have free options that work great. I've never needed to spend a dime on recording a mini lesson. Screencastify and Screencast-O-Matic both upload directly to Google Classroom, but they also upload directly to YouTube, which is my preferred upload spot. I publish them as unlisted so that only the people I want to see my mini lessons can see them. In YouTube, you can then add videos to playlists, making a one-stop shop for all mini lessons in a particular unit or on a particular topic. For instance, you might have a playlist for your review writing unit, or you might also have a playlist for every grammar mini lesson you teach this year. In the newsletter, you can click to get my unlisted digital notebook tools playlist. It may be tempting to leave your face off of the screencast, but I strongly recommend going ahead, sucking it up and embedding the webcam to show your face. Students need to see our facial expressions when we're teaching. And when some of us will be seeing students through masks this year, this is all the more important. Let them see that it's really you behind that computer screen. And here's my biggest tip for flipping lessons. 
Record in one take. You will mess up. You will be awkward. You will want to re-record, but don't do it. This will make the practice of flipping mini lessons completely unsustainable. Just like when you teach a lesson live, things aren't perfect. In my videos, you'll hear my children running around in the background. And while it pains me sometimes, I choose to say, oh well, that's okay. Give yourself the grace to be okay with that and make a deal with yourself from the outset that there will be no re-recording to get it just right. Then I post my lesson. Now this will be different for everyone depending on what platform or LMS your school is using. You can post to Google Classroom or Schoology or Seesaw or Loom. These possibilities are nearly endless. You can even just email it to your students with a due date in the subject line so that students can pull the lesson into their digital notebooks and keep everything in one place, I am creating a slide that links my mini lesson and adds some keywords to act as tags for easy searching. You can go to the newsletter to download my lesson template for students' digital notebooks. Then I assign that slide in Google Classroom. Homework will be number one, open the slide, copy it, paste it into your digital notebook, and then two, watch the mini lesson. I'll assess whether students have watched it by having brief one-on-one -on -one or small group conversations, asking them to show their skill in action, or maybe using an entrance ticket to get students takeaways from the lessons, or maybe even asking for a brief reflection in their dialogue journal. Then I will use our class time in my brick and mortar classroom or Zoom classroom to confer with students about their reading and writing, apply that knowledge together in some way, or give students time to read and write in front of me the way I've always done. Getting students in the habit of watching a digital mini lesson in advance of a class meeting will save me time, build independence, and ensure students always have that lesson in front of them to watch and rewatch as needed. Building a reading community one avatar at a time. Last spring, I missed looking across a room of readers and seeing books. I once heard a wise teacher say that the most important part of our job is kid watching, and looking at those book covers told me a lot. They told me who had sworn off YA, who was stuck in the 11th book of a series, who had been about halfway through the same book for the last three weeks and needed help, who was into spy novels now, who was trying nonfiction for the first time. Without a single word, I could tell a lot about my readers. When we moved to emergency remote learning, I missed that instant readerly data. Now, at least among my middle school crowd, one of the best things about meeting in Google Meets or Zoom is getting to make your friends laugh by changing your avatar. So how about this as a way to build a community of readers while gaining some important data? Ask students to change their Google Meets or Zoom avatar to a screenshot of a book they're currently reading. This could be a simple, fun way to display what each student is reading, but you might also consider Ask everyone to turn off their videos to create a visual quilt of book covers on your screen. It might even be fun to take a screenshot and track what the class is reading over time or share with families. 
Consider beginning or ending class by asking one or two students to briefly share about the book they're currently reading and displaying via their avatar. Getting ebooks in students' hands. If your student has any kind of internet device, you can get them set up for free ebooks from your public library. First, get each student an e-card for your local library. Some students may already have public library cards and can use those, but students who don't yet have a library card can probably get one online. These days, most libraries will do this online without you even having to go pick up a card. My five-year-old got his first library card last week this way, and these e-cards entitle you to check out ebooks. If this proves impossible, consider setting up an e-card just for your students to use, a class e-card, if you will. You give them the e-card login credentials and they use it to check out digital books. Since the books automatically return, there's no fear of library fines. Next, have each student download the Kindle Cloud Reader app. I begged my technology director to auto-install this on every student's Chromebook since we are one-to-one. But if you aren't one-to-one, students can download this on any device, a tablet, a phone, a home computer. Then they'll be able to access those eBooks from the public library. Note, they will need to set up an Amazon account in order to move the books from library to cloud reader. These tutorials that I've linked in the newsletter from Overdrive can help you and your students borrow a book and get it on the Kindle Cloud Reader. Let's be honest, there are a bunch of steps to walk through in order to get them started. On the other hand, I taught my grandmother how to do this remotely, so I feel good that we can help students do it too. I plan to walk my students through this entire process during the very first week of school so that no matter what else happens this school year, they'll be able to access all the books they want electronically. Now, if you're feeling fancy, consider helping them sign up for accounts with Edelweiss and NetGalley to get advanced reader copies of eBooks. They'll get the thrill of being one of the very first people to read a book before it's released, and they'll be nudged by the sites to write a review bonus for their writing teacher. Q&A. Question from Beth Reimer on Twitter. We've been meeting every other Sunday virtually with the Ohio Writing Project teachers, and one question we're exploring is what we do virtually and what we do face-to-face or synchronously and asynchronously. Answer. Okay, so this wasn't exactly a question from Beth, but it is a question we've been hearing a lot, and it's an important one. Priorities, right? Our priorities always define our classroom, and there are no rights and wrongs, right now especially. But here's how we see those priorities stacking up. First, conferring. Second, sharing. Third, working and practicing together. And fourth, direct instruction through the mini lesson. This is our thought process. Conferring. This is our top face-to-face or synchronous priority because we know that conferring is where some of the deepest learning takes place, where we build relationships with students, and where we learn the most about what our writers need. Now, here's a reality. We aren't going to be able to scoot up next to a student the way we used to, and more on how to manage that in our September newsletter. But finding ways to have one-on-one conversations is really the foundation of how we teach, 
So this is where we're going to start with face-to-face time or synchronous online meetings and appointments. Next, sharing. If we build relationships with kids through conferences, kids build relationships with one another and become functioning communities of readers and writers through the time we give them to share, to talk. Sharing is all those things we do together where many different voices in our community are heard. So this might include sharing a favorite line of writing at the end of class, sharing drafts and asking for feedback in the author's chair, talking and thinking together during an interactive read aloud, or discussing an in-common text. In the precious minutes that we're all together, kids need the opportunity to just talk to one another about their learning, now more than ever. There are wonderful options for sharing asynchronously too, but when push comes to shove, we'll always prioritize relationships and community building in the time we get with students. Third, working and practicing. This might be the one that surprises you. Surely students can read and write at home on their own. But really, can they? In teaching, we give our time to what we value. And in workshop, that is the work of reading and writing. We give students class time in our normal teaching lives to read and to write because it's the thing. It's not an afterthought. It's not fun if we have time. Reading and writing are the big show. We also give copious class time to the act of reading and writing so that we kid watch and we can see how it's going. We can answer questions in the moment and on the spot. It's important instructional triage. This is also what students are doing while we're conferring. So really, this is kind of our number one B paired with conferring in our list of priorities. So if we're face-to-face, Or if we are live with students over a screen, we will be spending at least some of that time letting them read and letting them write. Our last priority for live face-to-face or synchronous class time is the direct instruction through the mini lesson. What we don't have to do face-to-face is provide direct instruction. Because of the beauty of technology and screencasting, we can give mini lessons anytime, on demand, In fact, it might even be better to do it this way. When our lessons are recorded, students can access them again and again as needed. It's also more equitable because they don't have to make it to a live class meeting to receive the teaching. To be honest, we may never do a live mini lesson again. That said, we still believe in responsive mini lessons with responsive mentor texts that address the needs of your students right now. So while it will be tempting down the road to pull out last year's mini lesson, let's just all promise right now that we're going to resist that temptation in general. Older recorded mini lessons could become a rich library for students to access, but they shouldn't replace teaching designed for these kids this year. Thank you so much for joining us for the first audio issue of Inside the Blended Workshop We hope that you'll subscribe, that you'll share with friends, that you'll ask us your questions and tell us about your victories, and we'll hope to see you again next month.